Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Poetry in Motion Cowboy Podcast. Thank you guys for being here. We are coming up on Labor Day and I'm really excited. One reason I'm excited for Labor Day is it marks my 7th anniversary with my wife, so that's exciting. But more importantly, Labor Day every year marks the All-American Futurity. Now if you are not a quarter horse racing fan if you don't follow the sport the all-american futurity held every labor day it is the 10 best two-year-old quarter horses in the country lining up for a three million dollar purse three million dollar purse for a race for two-year-olds it's the richest two-year-old race for any breed in the country even thoroughbreds do not have a race for two-year-olds that can boast a $3 million purse. The race is ran at 440 yards. It's a true quarter mile. It's the classic quarter horse distance. And that's where the name came from. When you look back and, and you had the old steel dust horses and stuff, the predecessors that came before uh, the AQHA got founded, before Wimpy wins down at Fort Worth and becomes the first uh, registered quarter horse. You had the steel dust horses, and, and they were known for their speed in the quarter mile. And they ended up making good cow horses and, and they had a certain type, a certain confirmation that people were looking for. But what really got them started, what really condensed the genetics to make it be a breed was their speed running a quarter of a mile. They they had gotten bored, I guess, a little bit with the thoroughbreds that were running four-mile races and stuff like that at the time. And, and the early settlers probably didn't have a four-mile long racetrack anyway, but they could line up these steel dust horses, these quarter-mile horses, and race them down Main Street. And it was a big deal at the time. So the the name Quarter Horse came from these horses being able to run really, really fast for a quarter of a mile. And so that has stuck through history to where today we are still lining up Quarter Horses to run a quarter of a mile and now putting up a $3 million dollar purse for the all-american futurity the all-american it it runs deep with history when you put up three million dollars for some two-year-olds to run against each other you're going to get the best horses in the world so it's it's just obvious that there's going to end up being good horses there's some historic type of horses the all-american was the first one million dollar race for any breed in the u.s um we were ahead of the thoroughbred people ahead of of everybody there, in 1978, the purse reached $1 million. Uh, that first million-dollar race was won by Moonlark, and Moonlark went on to be a really good sire, not just of racehorses, but he had barrel horses and rope horses that, that did really well, too. And the All-American was the first quarter horse race to have a $2 million purse. After being the first race of any breed to have a million-dollar purse, then comes back has the first quarter horse race to have a two million dollar purse and now since 2015 it's had a three million dollar purse it's crazy to think of of that sum the way it all breaks down the winner of the all-american is guaranteed to take home 1.5 million dollars tenth place just just tenth place pays sixty thousand the top seven horses first through seventh place are all going to leave with over one hundred thousand dollars now 
you don't get to just decide that you want to run in the All-American. From the time these Colts are born, um, they're, they're paying up money to keep them nominated and keep them eligible, and then they've got to enter into the trials. One neat thing about the, the way quarter horses run their races versus um, like the Kentucky Derby or something like that is that they run time trials. So there will be a bunch of horses entered for the All-American. Then they will we'll run those horses in groups of 10 to, um, to qualify. They'll take the top 10 fastest times from all those trials, and the top 10 fastest times will qualify then to come back for the finals. So if you're one of the 10 fastest and you, you just qualify, you just make the finals, even 10th place once you've reached the finals, pay $60,000. But the All-American has even more drama this year. If, if, you can, if you can get more dramatic than a two-year-old trying to run for a million and a half, it got even more drama this year because one of the qualifiers, a horse named Just Saving Candy, has a chance to win the quarter horse triple crown. Now, they talk about how hard the the thoroughbred triple crown is to win, and Bob Baffert has has almost proven that wrong in the last 10 years or so, but the quarter horse triple crown has only ever been won one time. Only one horse has ever been able to win the quarter horse triple crown. The quarter horse triple crown is the Riadosa Futurity, the Rainbow Futurity, and the All-American. The only horse to ever do it was special effort. Back in 1981, special effort had just a, a freak of a year, which he was a freak of a horse anyway. But 1981, he was he was unstoppable. He was unbeatable. One neat thing about special effort, too, is he does show the, the importance or the impact, however you want to look at it, of the thoroughbreds on the quarter horse breed. Um, he was... He was a big, pretty good-looking horse, but he was by a horse called uh, Raisin Native, which was a thoroughbred. Um, so he shows some of that thoroughbred impact in the quarter horse deal. And as much as some quarter horse people want to gripe about thoroughbreds, I would almost guarantee that whatever horse it is you are showing in the cutting, the reining, that you're roping on, that you're running barrels, goes back, at very least goes back to three bars somewhere, probably through dock bar, and has some thoroughbred in him but special effort was half thoroughbred he was owned by dan and jolene urschel got to remember this was 1981 this is a long time ago dan and jolene paid one million dollars for this horse after the trials for the kansas futurity now the kansas futurity would later be named the riadosa futurity so that's how it all falls in there for him to end up winning the triple crown but dan and jolene saw him win the trials uh, for the Kansas Futurity, he had the fastest qualifying time. They go and pay $1 million for special effort. He comes back, obviously, wins the Kansas, comes back, wins the Rainbow, comes back, wins the All-American, and kind of a almost a secretariat-type story. Um, he ran really good races in the Kansas and in the Rainbow, and then comes back and just blows the doors off of them in the All-American. Uh, it was his his big final showdown was was awesome. He just dominated in it. In his career, he ran 14 races. He won 13 of them. The only race he did not win, he still ran third, and he ran third in the last race of his career. He earned $1.2 Remember, this is 1981, 1982. 
he earns $1.2 million. He goes on to become a great sire, especially a broodmare sire. His, his direct offspring ran well, but it was his daughters that really carried the torch. Um, his daughters ended up being great producers. The Urschel's fairly synonymous with um, quarter horse racing. Like I say, to this point, they've owned the only triple crown winner in, in quarter horse history. Uh, but they also own some other great horses. They own Pie in the Sky. They race Strawfly Special. Um, and I, I got lucky enough to get to be around the Urschel's a little bit. Um, when I got out of college, I was the assistant trainer for the trainer who was working for them at the time, who had all their horses. The greatest horse that I ever got to ride uh, belonged to the Urschels. Um, they had bought him as a yearling. He was a, a son of Jet Black Patriot. His name was C.R. Tucker Nook. Um, Tucker made 215000 in his career, and that doesn't seem like much when you hold him up against horses that have won the All-American, you know, made a million and a half in, in one race. But he was, he was such a perfect specimen. And he liked to run long was his was his problem. He ran in the trials for the All-American. He ran in the trials for the Rainbow. Um, and he just never could quite get there. He was always so close and always knocking on the door. But his lick as he got older was running in longer races from 550 yards up to 870 yards. Um, his his two-year-old year and his three-year-old year, he was trying to qualify for those, those big futurities and big derbies. Um, all running at 440 yards, but his four-year-old year, and they finally had a chance to stretch him out and, and let him run longer. He just he just dominated. He just kind of took the the world by storm. As a four-year-old, he won big stakes races in three different states, including the AQHA Distance Challenge Championship at Lone Star Park in Grand Prairie, Texas. And I was lucky enough; I got to gallop that horse some. I got to ride him some. Nothing in the world felt impossible when you were riding that horse. His motion was so effortless. He moved so perfectly, so flawlessly, that it felt like there was no speed that was impossible for him. Like if you needed him to run 100 miles an hour, it felt like all you had to do was ask him and he would be capable of doing it. And then once he got there and he got to rolling, there was there was no friction anywhere. There was no lost energy he felt like he could just do it all day, and he was he was big, he was pretty, he was like hurt your eyes, gorgeous to look at, and then on top of that, he was gentle, he was a big puppy dog, like he loved people, he had a great personality, one of the cool things um, about racehorses, I, if you couldn't tell, I love racehorses, as much as I love ranching and cowboying, I love racehorses, now, there's aspects of the horse racing game and business and industry that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, we're obviously, we've kind of gotten out of the racehorse deal for some of those reasons. But I love racehorses. And, and one thing that I do love about horse racing is that if you go look at, say, a Western Pleasure horse, those horses are very well trained. They're very well broke. Um, they're they're a, a testament to man's ability to go and train a horse to do a job but there's no personality in those horses every single western pleasure horse looks exactly the same 
All of the personality, all the individuality has been taken out of them. Racehorses are not that way. Racehorses are like the bully on the playground that thinks they're bigger and tougher than everybody else. And instead of getting on to them and instead of scolding them for that and, and trying to make them fit into a mold, you encourage it. Like there is no other um, horse event or sport or discipline in the world where the day before the race or the day before the event, the day before the competition, you're excited that this horse is trying to bite people and like he's rearing up and jumping and kicking when you take him out of his stall. Like, I love seeing the encouragement of these horses to be themselves and to grow in to kind of arrogant, cocky athletes. Like If you go look at the great athletes in any sport, even humans, they're going to come across as a little bit arrogant. They're going to come across as just a little bit cocky. And the good racehorses are that way. Their personality shines through. And, and Tucker was kind of like that. When you would go to galloping, he thought that he was in charge. He thought that he was the big man on campus. And if he wanted to stop and smell flowers, he was going to stop and smell flowers. And you better just let him kind of do his thing because um, he'd get grouchy if you tried to tell him otherwise. Um, but at the same time, though, he was he was not a bronc. He didn't try to run off. He didn't try to hurt nobody. He just thought that he was king of the world and everybody should treat him that way. He had a great, great, awesome personality, and I love that about racehorses. The the cutting horses, you're starting to see it again some more in the cutting horses where they're trying to stay out of their way and let them have some personality because it helps them be showier. Um, horses want to get down on their knees and kind of overwork a cow and stuff, stuff that's maybe not necessarily... Uh, productive but it's definitely their personality and it shows and and so they're trying to do that but but no other event no other horse related discipline encourages horses to just be themselves and, and be full of themselves and to feel good and to enjoy life the way that horse racing does so I was very blessed to get to be around that horse and and get to riding but at that same time, while they were training for the Urschels, um, I, I had started a colt for my wife. My wife had bought this little Frenchman's guy, Philly. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason she married me was because she figured out that her pretty little buckskin Philly was going to be a bronc and try to kill her. So she married me so that I would have to start the horse for her. But I got her started and got her going. And Most people, when they're riding a pony horse when they're ponying these racehorses because these racehorses get high as a kite and they'll try to they'll try to bite your horse and they'll be bucking and kicking and trying to stampede and stuff beside you so most people want a really really broke pony horse that's old and seasoned and not going to be rattled by much i kind of took the opposite approach here and i had this filly that i was riding for my wife and i needed to put a lot of miles on her because she was obnoxious so I thought that it was a perfect combination where I could use her as a pony horse. I was already at the track. I need the pony anyway. This filly need the miles. I'd use her for a pony horse. She had been going fairly well. Like We had been surviving through it. And one day, I'll never forget, Dan and J Jolene Urschel had come up, and, and they'd come up to watch their horses go that day. Well, one of their horses on the training schedule, he was scheduled to pony that day. So they had drove up in their Escalade and parked their Escalade almost on top of the racetrack so that they could see what was going on. I come out of the barn riding my wife's barrel horse 
pony in one of their horses. So I've got him on the lead shank beside me. And we're coming along there, and, and that colt of theirs kind of gets excited, and he jumps and kicks. And my wife's horse that I'm riding wheels and kicks at this dude, like right in front of him. We were sitting right in front of their car about to pass him, and this Billy that I'm riding tries to kick their horse. And I was like, oh, my oh my goodness, this is, is not going to be well. So I had to go back and, and change horses, but it was more proof that no matter what the job is, if you give it to a cowboy, it's going to become a cowboy job because it's a cowboy that's doing it. I'm not saying it was a good decision to try ponying off that filly, but all's well that ends well. But we had a lot of stuff while we were while we were in the horse racing deal. We had a lot of stuff that was like that that maybe, you know, back east in Kentucky where where they got all these big huge stud farms and all these big white fences and everything. Maybe not the way that they would do it. But like I say, you give it any job to a cowboy and it's gonna become a cowboy job. We would get those race colts started. And and by started, I mean we would work them a day or two in the round pen, and then we would snub them off and get on them. And as soon as they kind of halfway quit bucking, we kicked them out across the pasture, and, and we went to just putting miles on them and getting them out getting them exposed to stuff. But there was a, a pond out in the pasture kind of off to the side of the, the racetrack, and, and there was a little drainage ditch that come off the side of the pond. And so me and my boss, we decided that we was going to get these colts that we were riding. They probably had a, a week's worth of riding on them maybe. And we are going to try to get these colts to cross over through this drainage ditch, get them to go through the water. Well, I'm on the side closest to the pond, and my boss is, is on the outside. When his horse goes to cross the water, it spooks and smashes into my horse and packs us out in the middle of the pond. Now, I'm not a strong swimmer. That is not my, my strong suit, okay? I was never going to be an Olympic champion swimming. You take that and you, you combine it with the fact that we start all these race babies in the winter so that they're ready by spring to go to enter in races. I'm bundled up. I'm, I've got all the clothes I own on just trying to stay warm. And now we are out here trying to swim through the pond. I end up sinking to the bottom and having to pretty much crawl out on my knees. And to top all of that off, that was the first set of colts that we'd taken out that day. So we spent the rest of the day with a layer of ice on the outside trying not to freeze to death while we was riding more colts. That was some of the kind of cowboy stuff, bad decision type things that we got into. But I will tell you this, both of those colts that were rode that day that ended up in the pond ended up being race winners. So maybe there was something to it. One of the other kind of cowboy things that we got into that most racehorse people probably would not so we we would snub these colts when we'd go to get on them for the first time and it was it was really good it, it worked really well but the pony horse and the snub horse they stayed out in the pasture the racehorse was all up in stalls but the pony horse and the snub horse was out in pasture so in the mornings we would try to suck all those horses in with a bucket of feed up into a catch pen where we could get a hold of them Sometimes that didn't work. My boss's philosophy for going and catching the pony horses if they did not come in was we would take the colts that it might have just been the day before that, that this colt was being snubbed by the pony horse. Today we take them out like we're gathering a set of Mustangs and go try to gather the pony horses off of them. 
If you have never been on a colt that is bred to race, bred to run and try to outrun other horses, and you've gone and tried to gather horses out of the pasture, when the horses you're trying to gather break and run, all of your power steering, all of your brakes go immediately out the window, and you hope that it's just a runoff, because if they're going to run off, like that's a given. There's no ifs, ands, or buts that they're going to run off. But you hope that it's just a runoff, because when they get to go in Mach 9, and then they decide that they're having so much fun, they'll buck a little bit, they're really, really hard to get by. But it was it was fun. It was definitely fun. We got the Colts going. I'll never forget when I first went to work for those people. I showed up there, and they put me on this big gray horse. His name was Wildfire. I'll never forget old Wildfire. They put me on him, and I'm riding him around inside the shed row of the barn, waiting on them to get ready so we can go to the track. And, and they're like, hey, you know, kind of watch this one. He's, he's a bronc. I ride him around the barn. I'm thinking, well, these guys must not be very tough because this horse isn't giving me any trouble. Like, he's, he's just fine. So I'm not really too concerned about it. And when we ride out the barn to head to the track, there's to go from the barn to the track, there's a little walkway there and it goes across a culvert and on either side of this culvert there's a t-post there for some reason about the time we get to the culvert a wildfire decides that he's going to show me he is a bronc and he bogs his head and goes to getting after it well i can see these t-posts on either side of me and i really really in the deepest part of my heart do not want to get impaled on a t-post so i am bearing down getting past this dude we make it through the T-post, and he ducks and hangs a hard left and goes, and he's bucking right beside the barn. And my head is hitting the, the gutters down the side of the barn. So I'm hanging off the side of him, trying not to fall off, but also trying not to get decapitated by the gutters on the barn. We make it through that, and he comes up away from the barn and goes to bucking across the gravel parking lot. As much as I did not want to get impaled on a T-post, almost that same level, of me not wanting to get yard darted into the gravel. Ride him all the way across the parking lot. And this probably didn't take 30 seconds, but it felt like I'd been riding for 10 years. We make it across the parking lot, get over into the grass, and I, I don't know if I just thought I had him whooped and took a deep breath and relaxed or, or what, but as soon as we get into the grass, just one point landing right on my head. He just piled me up. So I catch him, I get back on him, I no more than get set on him, and he bucks me off again. So I get on him again, I no more than get set on him, he bucks me off again. For the next two years, I had to deal with this horse. And there would be times that I would get on him, and he would just go like a champ, like he would never make a bobble. There would be other times that I would get on him, and if he decided he was going to buck me off, he just did it. I don't know, I've never had a horse that was that was like him. He just had my number. Anytime he decided he was going to buck me off, he just did it, and, and he did it at will, and it seemed like he did it easily. We finally got him ready. We thought to enter in a race. We take him up there, and I actually took him out and galloped him pretty hard a mile that morning before the race, trying to take a little bit of the edge off of him, where usually we'd be trying to encourage him to have as much energy and as much drive as possible we took him out and tried to knock the edge off of him so he wasn't such an idiot but we get him up there we get him in the saddling paddock get the jockey legged up on him 
my boss has, has got wildfire by the ear and got a hold of the lead rope. I'm legging the jockey up. Wildfire bogs his head and goes to bucking. Is dragging, like, yanks my boss down, is dragging him across the paddock on his belly. And even with an anchor like that, still manages to buck the jockey off. Broke some ribs, punctured a lung, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I don't think that Wildfire ever ended up having an official out. I don't think he ever made it to the starting gates to have an official out. But later on, he got hurt and, and he had to be put down. And so I had gone back out there. I wasn't working there anymore, but I'd gone back out to visit. And, and I, I told my boss kind of jokingly that as much as I hated that Wildfire died, I was also glad I didn't have to ride him anymore and that I had walked across his grave. And my boss says, well, that's probably the first time that you've ever been able to stay on top of him. As much as as I hated that horse with a passion, I, <coughs> excuse me, I loved the racehorses. The All-American Futurity is everybody's dream. If you are in quarter horse racing, you want to win the All-American Futurity. But the All-American Futurity isn't the only big race held over Labor Day. The All-American Futurity is for the two-year-olds, but they also run the All-American Derby for three-year-olds and then the All-American Oaks for three-year-old fillies. Last year's All-American winner, Whistle Stop Cafe, is running in the Oaks this year. Big gray filly. Um, she is she is awesome. She should be tough to beat in the Oaks. But then in the Derby, in the All-American Derby this year, it's really neat. As, as strange as it is, as historic as it is, to have a horse with a chance to win the um, the Triple Crown, there's also a horse with a chance to win the Derby Triple Crown this year. A horse called Impressum. Impressum's already won the Rainbow and the Riadosa Derbies. So we could realistically have a horse win the Triple Crown and the Derby Triple Crown in the same year, and that would be absolutely unheard of. Now, one thing with the racehorses that I enjoy looking at, I enjoy looking at their bloodlines. When you get around the Cowboys, Cowboys will try to tell you, you know, you can't ride the papers and da-da-da. Most of the people that tell you you can't ride the papers either rode one really good grade horse at some point in their life, or they've never rode a good horse at all. I enjoy looking at bloodlines. Special effort won the Triple Crown, but his mark on the All-American runs deeper than just his achievements. Six out of the ten qualifiers to this year's All-American Futurity trace back to special effort in their pedigree. Two of the horses, Favorite Blues Man and Cat Eye Kylie, both go back to special effort through their sire, Favorite Cartel, um, favorite cartel has been a really good sire. His colts have run really well. He goes back to special effort. One of the other qualifiers, a horse named Jess Dillon. His sire, Deal a Game, is out of a special effort granddaughter. Uh, FDD Scout and El Painted Eagle both kind of prove special effort's greatness as a broodmare sire because they trace back to special effort through their dams. And then Sippin' Hayden, uh, another gray horse, Traces back to special effort twice. He goes back to special effort through his sire and through his dam. Special effort has left his mark not only in the, the achievements of of his own, of the things that he did, but it's still his colts 
to this day or his grandsons and, and great-grandsons and great-great-grandsons that are still carrying on a legacy and still winning. Now, Just Saving Candy is the horse that will try to be the first Triple Crown winner in 40 years and the second in history. Just Saving Candy's a two-year-old Bay Gildan. He's already earned 851000 in only five starts. One of the uh, kind of funny things was that his, his very first out, his very first official start, he ran second. Um, the only race that he's, that he's ever not won, he ran second in. He ran second to a horse called Jess Fire Me in the, in the Rio Dosa trials. But he come back in the finals because his time was still fast enough that even though he didn't win the race, he still qualified for the finals. He comes back in the Rio Dosa Futurity Finals, and he wins the finals, and Jess Fireme ran second. So he's kind of redeemed himself in the only loss that he had. But in only five starts, he's made 851000 Talking about genetics again, Jess Saving Candy is a son of a horse called Jess Good Candy. Jess Good Candy won the All-American in 2015. So there's some family history there of success in the All-American uh, Jess Saving Candy is trained by John Steinball, and he has post position number seven in the All-American Futurity. The Futurity is going to be run September 6th, Riodosa Downs, Riodosa, New Mexico. The Derby and the Oaks are going to be run September 5th. So the day before, they'll run the Derby and the Oaks, and then they'll follow that up um, on Monday with the All-American Futurity. Now, I've got a poem that I want to share with you guys today. It's, it's fictitious. It's, it's something made up, but, but it's little parts and pieces of a million racehorses that I've known. And, and this poem is called his, his Left Front Turned In a Little. It's kind of a weird name for a poem, I know, but um, that's what we call it. And it, it touches on one of kind of the ugly parts of horse racing, that there's a lot of racehorses that get hurt. Um, and it's it's just a fact of life. It's the way it goes. Um, it comes to the forefront and is more visible in horse racing. But it happens in, in other things too. I mean, ranch horses get hurt. Uh, reining horses get hurt. Cutting horses get hurt. Pretty much no matter what you're doing with a horse, if they're good at it, there's a chance that they can get hurt. But race horses love to run. I'm not taking away from the fact that we need to do things to try to ensure the safety for these horses. We need to make sure the track's right. Um, we need to make sure they're healthy before they run. Um, they've really stepped up some of the drug testing and, and things going on and where they're collecting hair samples and, and stuff like that now. But horses love to run. If you look out in a pasture, you turn a bunch of yearling colts or, or even weanlings out in a pasture together, they're going to run. They're going to see who's the fastest. Even if they're out there by themselves, they're just going to run just for the feel of the wind blowing in their hair and, and their feet pounding the ground. They they love to run. They they enjoy it. Um, the, the injuries and, and things that come, some of them are avoidable and, and some of them just aren't. These horses have been bred for so many years now to to be able to run faster than their bodies are even really capable of holding up to the the same kind of goes if if he's fast enough to win he's fast enough to hurt himself they reach so far they push so hard they try so hard 
that they put so much strain on their bodies and and even the very best trainers in the world who are super conscientious of of their horse's health and and well-being these horses they just they overexert themselves because they have the difference in a in a good horse and a great race horse is a lack of self-preservation and and that sounds that sounds bad but it's no different than a ranch horse that you go and rope a big cow that's bigger than he is and he's willing to bear down and and try hard and not quit no matter what like we respect and we honor those kind of horses when they're when they're ranch horses a race horse is the same way there's some horses that they only extend themselves to a percentage of their ability and and then they kind of hold back and they kind of quit but the great ones the great ones give it 100 percent everything they've got And, and sometimes their bodies just don't just don't hold up to it um, people say that that the colts are started too young that like this the all-american futurity uh being run in the middle of their two-year-old year is too early that the horses aren't um, physically ready for it um but that's not a new thing at um Salisaw, oklahoma at blue ribbon downs they used to run a yearling futurity that actually ran the december of those colts yearling year so it's a good thing i think that we've gotten rid of that and, and most trainers um even if they just look at it from a business standpoint, they can't run a horse or not run him successfully if he's sore or if he's crippled. So they start way back in the yearling of, of those Colts years trying to build them up, building up bone, building up muscle, strengthening tendons and ligaments, um, doctoring their legs uh, uh, in a way that, that everything will be stronger and, and more solid there. And, and there's been a lot of research done um no a horse's knees aren't grown together the the plates in there aren't completely fused until he gets a little bit older but as far as as the cannon bones and and things like that in the horse's legs done correctly starting a horse as as a yearling putting him through a a little bit of of forced um controlled exercise actually causes the muscles and the bones to break down and build back stronger uh, than they were so it's it's always going to be there's always going to be give and take um yes the horses might be might stay sounder if we waited till later in their careers to start them but money is what drives any industry and when people are going and giving a hundred thousand dollars for a yearling and then they've got a chance to run for three million in all-american futurity a year later there's not very many businessmen that are going to wait when there's an opportunity for for return on their investment like that and the trainers most of the trainers charge outrageous daily fees um so not only does the owner have the expense of going and buying the horse but now he's got the expense of of paying its training its vet bills uh paying a horseshoe paying all that they're going to look for their their return on on their investment so Starting these colts at a young age is is kind of a necessary evil. Whether you like it or or whether you don't like it, it's always going to be part of the game. Uh, The bucking bull industry has gone the same way where there seems to me there's more money in bucking yearlings and two-year-olds with a dummy than there is in trying to haul older bulls, um, even if you get them going to the PBRs and and things like that. So it's just a, a necessary evil in the business. I hate it. It breaks my heart anytime I see a horse break down. Um, but it's life. I've seen horses crippled on the racetrack, and I've seen horses crippled off of the racetrack, and most of these horses would not be happy not given a chance to run anyway. So try to give them the best life they can 
if something bad happens, it's horrendous and, and we hate it. We try to do everything we can to avoid it, but it's always going to be a part of the game. So this poem touches on that a little bit. It's called His Left Front Turned In A Little. His left front turned in a little. I'll never forget that. He was fairly easy keeping, but never got overly fat. He was blacker than the back of my eyelids, with a tiny little snip. Not another white hair on him, except the freeze brand on his hip. He weren't real tall, maybe 14 too, with a big sparkling eye. Every time I let him over, I knew that colt would try. His parents were first-rate race stock, animal kingdom royalty. I wanted a colt by his daddy badly, but I couldn't afford the fee. Till I spotted this one at a sale. Crooked-legged and all, at the Heritage and OKC at their big sale in the fall. The bidding was pretty slow for bloodlines like he had, and I swear he took it personal. You could see in his eye he was mad. He pawed and stomped and kicked, showed that crooked leg wouldn't slow him down none. He didn't convince many people, but he convinced me for one. After getting my trailer fixed, where he bent the slants and kicked out the walls, I put him at the far end of the shed row at the end of the line of stalls, cause he'd climb the gate to bite any poor soul who walked by, then stare at them as they bled, deep brooding mystery in his eye. In trying to break the colt we had wreck after worse wreck, till he dang near broke my back and I wanted to break his neck. He wasn't a flipper, he never hurt himself a single time, but he could jump the moon, kick the stars, and swap ends on a dime. He'd get lathered up and snorting at just the side of the tack and try to savage any other horses who happened to be on the track. He'd quiver in the gates like an arrow notched on a bow. He'd bite and thrash until they were about to kick, but he always seemed to know. He was the meanest colt I'd ever seen in all my backside years, but boy could he fly if you could just get the bridle over his ears. He didn't take to kindness nor to abuse at all. He wasn't never happy but content if left alone and in his stall. I learned early on of the deep-rooted hatred that burned within the colt and controlled his mind like the moon and tide and struck like a lightning bolt. He hated me and all people, other horses, the gates, the saddle, the bit, but intelligence overlied his anger. He attacked with cruel intentions but never threw a fit. He wasn't wild or crazy, just mad, and to this day I still don't know why. The only thing he liked was running, and boy could that black colt fly. It didn't take him long to learn the racing game, and quarter horse tracks nationwide echoed the black colt's name. He took joy in humiliating rivals. He danced to a wicked tune, that of a horse's heart shatter and a racing career ending too soon. He broke many a good horse, left them nothing but a shell, took out their soul and will to run and damned them all to hell. He'd never win by daylight, a head or a neck, never more. Let his opponents see a glimmer of hope, then leave him broken and sore. I could almost hear him laughing as he shortened his mighty stride and let the other horses draw even to surface their equine pride. Sweat would ring from their bodies, blood would spill from their nose as they tried to pass the black colt, who always seemed so close. But intelligence shone in the black's eye, he knew where the wire lay, when the others were running full out, he'd simply re-break and pull away. He held his head high and looked past me as into the wind circle we'd go as he mocked the horses behind us who settled for place and show. He felt the attention was his right, 
nobility looking down upon slaves, and he took pleasure each time he doomed competitors to their graves. But crooked legs and unworldly speed led to his demise. Fifty yards from the wire the cannon bone went. At night I still hear his cries. The leg was a secondary pain. His hate and anger masked it well, but nine horses had passed him when his body gave out and he fell. He tried once to get up and run. The leg folded up again. It was the first time the black colt had seen someone else win. He just laid there then, eyes closed, waiting to die. He hated everything but winning and now was a failure in his own eye. I'll admit it, I cried for this rotten black colt I had mutually despised. I'll never understand what went on inside his head, but since he broke down, a little piece of me is dead. In that short time, I witnessed greatness. When he was on top and when he fell flat, his left front turned in a little. I'll always remember that. Thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to come back for the next episode. I love you guys, but Jesus loves you more, and I will be talking to you. See y'all later.